0: Dr. Chris Krogan, co-director at Luther House of Study, will deliver this morning's hear, hear, sermon. hearers of the word of God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Again, from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, the first verse. It is necessary to boast. Also, verses seven through nine. Therefore, to keep me from being too arrogant, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from being too arrogant. Three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Let me start off by summarizing these verses for you. Jesus uses your sin to save you. I suppose it was my mother who first identified this in me. My wife, after dating me for a while, probably picked up on the cue. My children, having lived with me for 18 years, now make fun of it. You see, I have a tell, a a physical tick of sorts, that whenever I get excited, I rub my hands together. And it usually happens because I feel like I have an advantage. Something is going my way. It can happen usually when I'm watching the St. Louis Cardinals, or if I feel like I've gained an upper hand somehow financially, especially when I'm making an academic argument, or if I feel like I've gained an advantage politically so as to promote my agenda. I will start and cup my hands together And my kids will look at me and say, so, Dad, what's going on? And then, with hardly a pause, out of my mouth comes a boast. And I start to tell them how the momentum just swung my way. And what is behind my excitement? What is behind my boasting? Well, first of all, to be honest, it's arrogance. But secondly, It is an issue of power. The reason I am excited is because I am on a power trip of sorts. To be sure, this is exactly what is at stake in today's reading from second letter to the Corinthians. There is a power struggle afoot in it. In the chapters leading up to what we read this morning, Paul gives an account of a dispute that was happening in the city of Corinth where these men came in claiming to be super apostles. Paul had planted the church there. Other preachers were there. But these super apostles believed that they had an advantage, that they were better than Paul in the preaching at Corinth. There was a power struggle of sorts. And Paul identifies this power struggle quite clearly. The struggle is between two powers, The first is that which Satan yields, the temptation that leads to boasting, personal glory, arrogance, and becoming your own God. The second power is that which Christ yields and wields, which is a creative word of promise, grace, mercy, that repents a person and makes faith in the one true God. Let me explore this a little bit more with you by going back to the issue of boasting. What is at the heart of the issue of boasting? And I don't say this figuratively, I mean it literally. What is going on in your heart when you want to boast? Well, to start with, it's because you are comparing yourself with others and concluding that somehow, in some way, in some manner, you are better than someone else. You have an advantage that others don't have an upper hand, so to speak. And why does having an advantage matter? Well, to have an advantage, to have an upper hand, feeds into a lot of other facets of our lives. Having an advantage gives us an illusion that we're in control. Having assets and leverage often leads us to a sense of superiority, of status, where people start looking up to you, admiring you. Perhaps they even idolize you. Having advantages advantage can give you a sense of privilege and power over others so that when you have power over others, you are kind of their Lord. See where this is going. It's helpful here to go back to your catechism teaching. Remember the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. As Luther says, we are to fear, love, and trust God above all things. Now remember, there is a power struggle going on here. And this struggle is nothing new. It began, in fact, in the Garden of Eden, with Satan calling into question the validity of God's promises and God's commands. In his sneaky, crafty way, he slithered up to Eve and he said this, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God and know what is good and what is evil. Ha <laughs> ha, now there is a temptation for you, a wonderful temptation. If you are like God, then you can lord over others, gain their respect, their honor, perhaps. Have them even idolize you. You will have a status, an advantage, an upper hand, a place of privilege. Now, this talk about having an advantage, being in a place of privilege and power, is all the rage these days. You can see this walking on the streets in pride parades and police protests. You can hear denominational leaders exhort you to acknowledge and repent yourself for living on the land that you live, or repent yourself for being one who benefits from an economy or a government that doesn't necessarily provide for all in equal amount. But there's an interesting catch-22 in all this. To be sure, people clamoring for social justice have a good point, a valid point. They are right in acknowledge that there is a power differential here. But... What they are seeking is just a shift in power so that one idol or statue is toppled and another one, namely the victims, are put in its place. Those who suffered are now the ones to be revered. Now, like I've been saying, there is a power struggle here. And you may be getting a sense of what's at stake. You see, when leaders of our communities, especially leaders of our church communities, when these leaders make it their mission to raise banners and fly flags of diversity, equity, and inclusion, a power struggle ensues. And frankly, that's exactly what Satan wants. Because when our society and our churches are focused on a debate about which one of us is in a place of privilege, which one of us holds an advantage over another, has the upper hand, we immediately lose sight of what God has done for us, what God is doing for us, what God promises to do for us. Simply put, our Father's word of promise Jesus' words of mercy, the peace given to us through the Holy Spirit is blurred by Satan's deceit. Satan deludes us into thinking that we can be like God and know who has a good and who is being evil. Believe you me, Paul knew very well how this worked, and how Satan does everything he can to remove God's word from your ears, conscience, and heart. Listen again to Paul's own words. Therefore, to keep me from being too arrogant, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Let's return to that issue of boasting for a moment. If you spent any time reading Paul's letters, as well as reading the book of Acts, you will then realize that Paul knew a thing or two about boasting and being arrogant. In fact, you can hear it in his own little resume in his letter to the Philippians. He he says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. With that in mind, I have a sneaking suspicion that if Paul and I were to share the same physical tics, when he was standing at the stoning of Stephen, he was rubbing his hands together because he believed he had gained an advantage, an upper hand, that he was a man of privilege, and he was arrogant. As I said, there is a power struggle going on here, and it's between Satan and your father in heaven. Satan wants you to boast of your own power, and ability to make a difference in your life and the life of others. He wants you to believe that you can be like God, to be an idol of sorts. God's intention for you, however, is the exact opposite as we hear in the first commandment. I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other idols before me. Now, why would God command such a thing? You see, your Father in heaven... Wants you to call on him in times of need. Your Father in heaven wants you to believe, to trust, to have faith that God does not, in fact, he cannot lie. Now, as much as Paul knew about our human nature and how it operates, our Lord Jesus knows even more our hearts. Our Lord Jesus knew Paul's history of arrogance and his desire to boast. Moreover, Jesus knows how much we want to be like God and be the Lord of our lives. With that in mind, then, we can see that our Lord Jesus does an interesting and surprising work. Remember what I said at the start of this sermon? Jesus uses your sin to save you. And Jesus doesn't keep you from sinning. Rather, he uses your experiencing, experiences of suffering the consequences of your sin to save you. One final explanation that is needed here to help you understand what Paul is saying in Corinthians. There's an interesting little wrinkle in Jesus' work, an interesting way that he leads you to the fulfillment of the first commandment. Jesus has an interesting way of taking hold of your heart you see, when you call out to your Father in heaven in times of need, in times of desperation, in times of trial, when you call out there, you are actually obeying the first commandment. And so, as Paul describes in today's epistle, when you call out to God when experiencing weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, you are actually sending your prayer to the right address wanna know what obeying the first commandment sounds like wanna know what the words of such a prayer sound like it's like this lord have mercy christ have mercy you see when you send your plea your petition to the right address you are living by faith trusting god so when you are in times of need And you call out to God, you are justified by faith. Now, here's where that power struggle comes full circle. As we read in today's letter from Paul, Jesus told Paul, My grace is sufficient for you because power is made perfect in weakness. What Paul is telling us here is he learned a new type of boast from Christ, and this new type of boasting runs opposite of the direction Satan would have you boast. Satan would have you boast in your own glory and power. But Paul isn't having you boast in that. He wasn't boasting that. He was boasting in the Lord's power. So Paul was a slave, not a lord. He was bound to Christ. And so when Paul has a thorn in his flesh, when he feels the full weight and consequence of sin and the devil... It gives them a cause to cry out, Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. And so Paul says, So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. Dear here is the word of God. In Paul's opening lines of today's epistle, Paul says, boasting is necessary. So now, I'm going to tell you what our Lord Jesus has in mind for you. And if you want to, feel free to rub your hands together, because you are going to get today the only advantage you need in this life. And get ready to claim your privilege. When you feel weak, say this, Lord, have mercy. When you feel hardships or persecutions, say this, Christ have mercy. When you experience a thorn in your flesh, Christ's grace in the form of forgiveness of your sin is sufficient. Boast in your weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in you. Amen.